Welcome back to Welfare in Warfare, where we're just looking to focus in this season on bringing together the priority of keeping our soul, um, watching over our hearts, just taking care about our inner lives. Uh, but from a specifically Christian perspective, uh, recognising that there is opposition to that, 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 that that's, that's a reality that we have to reckon with, um, but that God has given us all that we need uh, for life and for godliness. So it's not, it's not to make us afraid, but it is to make us alert and awake so that we can um, be watchful, diligent, put things in place in order to, um, in order to sort of do well, be fruitful for the long haul. So we're just looking to bring these, 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 these things together. What I want to focus on here is something that's actually only occurred to me fairly recently, not as a brand new thought, but just how it seems to be uh, an actual emphasis in the Bible when it's talking specifically about um, the devil, when it's talking particularly about um, the reality of, of the devil. Um, and it's this, it's, it's this uh, issue of ungodly anger, stroke, taking offence, stroke, not forgiving. It's that whole thing. And you, you may have heard stuff on that before. Uh, odds are, if you've heard me preach, you would have done. So I do, I do bring it up quite a lot. But I think it's only been lately that I've sort of thought to myself, with the... Uh, particularly in the New Testament, when they write about the activity of Satan, actually it seems to be fairly frequently associated with these things, with this particular area of um, our conduct, our heart, ungodly anger, offence, taking offence, not forgiving. So I'm going to just show you um, some of those scripture so that you can see that that's not just my idea um so we're going to start with a very well-known passage some of the passages are a bit more obscure but um we're going to start with a well-known one in the, the lord's prayer as uh, matthew records it chapter six so um get my glasses on so i can read it properly so here we go matthew six uh, chapter verse sorry chapter 6 verse 9 pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil end of prayer then jesus goes on for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So what I've always what I've noticed here for quite some time and, and, and preached quite a lot is the, the, the fascinating point that the one thing that Jesus picks up um, from the Lord's from, from the prayer he teaches, the one thing he picks up immediately to make a special point about is forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father Forgive your trespasses. So that's that's clearly a big deal. It's clearly something Jesus is wanting to emphasise, highlight. In the prayer, it's been said, Lord, forgive us as we forgive. And then Jesus makes the point, if you don't, you won't be. It's a strong point. But also what I hadn't noticed up till very recently is that Jesus makes this point 
straight out of the end of the prayer, which ends, deliver us from evil. So, so you know, I, I guess we don't know what's going on in Jesus's mind at the time, but it, perhaps, it, perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's a thought that we could consider that um, as he's talking about not being led into temptation and being delivered from evil, and he's thinking about the reality of evil, the reality of the powers of evil, that then he really actually wants to make this point. He's reminded we've really got to emphasize this point about forgiveness. Now, in and of itself, that might just be speculation and conjecture, but I want to just take you through um, some other other things. We go to Matthew 18, um, the parable of the unmerciful servant, I think it's called, here and there, um, or the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, a very kind of honest uh, interaction preludes the parable, uh, where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults, is Matthew 18, verse 15. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells the parable. And essentially, the next few verses, are, I won't read the whole parable, but what happens is, is that a man is... Uh, forgiven an enormous debt i think when you work it out it's something in the region of 50 billion it's an enormous debt but then he then finds someone who owes him a significant debt i think it's the equivalent of ten thousand pounds dollars whatever euros uh ten thousand so it's a significant amount still but nothing like what he's been forgiven but he won't forgive the man who owes him ten thousand the word then gets back um to the to the initial king who uh, forgave the huge debt and we're told that his master summoned him and said to him you wicked servant i forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as i have mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers now that word jailers there is literally torturers that's the literal translation in the greek is what it means to the torturers until he should pay all his debt but then Jesus, listen to this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So your heavenly father will do what to you? Well, hand you over to the torturers. What? Hold on a minute. What's going on here? What's going on here? Now the Bible teaches that one of the ways that God expresses his judgment is that he gives us over to what we choose. And so if you choose sin, he gives you over to it. And actually, that's a terrifying thing. Um, if God sort of, uh, if you choose the wrong way and are allowed to walk down it unobstructed, worry. <laughs> that's not a good sign. That's not a sign that God is affirming what you're doing. You'll know whether or not God is affirming what you're doing by what scripture teaches. One of the ways that God... Um, manifests his wrath is by handing us over to what we choose 
And, and, and here we have a situation where someone is handed over to the torturers until he's paid his debt. Um, so my father will do to you. And so it's a kind of a scary thing. But actually what, 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 what the idea there is that if a believer, if a disciple, if someone who says, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, if they then won't forgive someone else. And it's interesting how in this parable it's 50 billion compared to 10,000. It's very insightful because actually you see the huge discrepancy between the amount we've been forgiven before a holy God and the amount we need to forgive, no matter how much someone wrongs us compared to what God's forgiven us. It's nothing. But yet it's still 10,000. It is significant. It does hurt. <laughs> Forgiveness hurts. So all, all of these insights are hidden in this parable here and then revealed and shown to us. But the, the main point is, is that if you, if you can look at the cross, Jesus dying for your sin, and say, yeah, I received that. That's, that, that, that's, that's, that's a part of me. I'm, I'm in that. He's my saviour. And then have the audacity to not forgive someone who repents of their sin to you, but you hold on to that. Then there's something in, there's, there, there's something in which God will deal with you. God will, God will, God will hand you over. In, in a sense, you become vulnerable to the enemy at that point. You become very vulnerable. God, God says, you know what? This is ridiculous. You're going to have to learn the hard way. It's always redemptive. It's never done merely punitively. But God will... The Bible says in Romans 11 verse 22, I think it is, Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. And there are both sides to God in his fathering of us. All is good. All is love. But sometimes we're so obstinate and we're so hard-hearted and we're so arrogant. And there are these things in us that are so kind of calloused. And need dealing with that a severe element of God's character needs to kick in out of goodness, out of redemptive power in order to just wake us up. And so here we see, you think, wow, this is serious stuff. These are the words of Jesus. I'm not going to add to them, take away from them, dilute them. This is what's here. But now let's go into even a couple of other passages so you can see that this is really talking about enemy stuff. If, you, if we go to Ephesians chapter 4, um, Ephesians is one of the most sublime pieces of spiritual literature ever written. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, when we get into chapter 4, 5 and 6 really, I guess more, no more 4 and 5, we're into the, 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 the uh, centralities really of, of, the, of the Christian life. How to live the life, how to walk the walk. What does it look like? It's amazing gospel that we've believed and we've been saved by grace Simply through faith, you know, with faith has opened up forgiveness, new life to us as we have simply trusted in the work of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. We are born again, justified, adopted, absolutely extraordinary, just made a brand new, given a new heart. I mean, wow, praise God. Um, but it, it ushers us into this whole new way of walking, living, thinking. And it impacts all of our relationships. And, and in, in, in the last half of the letter, Paul, Paul's wanting to speak to the Ephesians about that. And so in chapter 4, we'll go from verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Listen to this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Very interesting. 
Um, it's the only place in his exhortations that he brings in the matter of the devil. I'm not saying that the devil can't be involved in any other areas of sin. I'm sure he is. But here he particularly mentions him. When you let your son go down on the anger, don't do that and give no opportunity to the devil. The implication is the way the thing is written is, is that in, in letting the sun go down on your anger, you will give opportunity to the devil. Some some translations say foothold to the devil. I think the word is just place. You give place to the devil. You give room to the devil. A believer can give room to the devil by holding on to uh, sin. But it seems that there's particular vulnerability when it comes to offence, unforgiveness, anger ungodly anger james says in his letter the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god it doesn't there's a there's righteous anger i think not to be honest i think <laughs> the most straightforward way of working out whether you've got unri- unrighteous anger or righteous anger is to ask yourself this question is the situation that i'm angry about concerning something where I feel I've been wronged or concerning something where someone else has been wronged. I'm not saying that you can't feel righteous anger about matters where you yourself have been wronged, but it's so hard to discern. When you feel you've been wronged, it's so hard to discern and it's so mixed. Because when I think you feel anger and it's for the cause of another person or other people or group of people, it's much, much more likely to be righteous godly anger less not tainted by selfishness not tainted by pride not tainted by self-deception and so i think that's the best way of, of really gauging it really to be honest but he says here listen you can go to sleep on your anger you can hold on to it you can nurse it and uh, feed it you can let it you can let it grow instead of letting it go uh, and when you do that, you open the door. Uh, you, you make yourself vulnerable. You give the devil a place. Something to do with the, the language there, the original language that's been used, it's likened to the idea of like a, a, a landing strip, some, somewhere, to, somewhere to come in and, and, and find access. Um, somewhere to, obviously we use landing strip in terms of the... Uh, flights and they didn't have flights in those days but it's that it's that kind of idea of giving someone a, a way in to, to land in your heart in your spirit in your soul um, this is talking to believers this is writing to believers jesus when speaking about the sermon on the mount at the start he says if you don't forgive neither will your father forgive he's talking to disciples believers the parable of the talents in response to Peter's question he's a disciple he's a believer and Jesus says to him so my father will do to you if you don't forgive these are warnings to believers okay this we've got to take this seriously you want to stay in a place of good good welfare on the inside you've really got to take this matter seriously someone offended you someone wronged you well, interestingly, the first thing you don't do is forgive them. The first thing you do is you go and tell them. Oh, gosh, how much trouble would we avoid if people only did this? How much trouble do we experience because people don't do this? I tell you, as a pastor, I can testify so much 
things build up and build up. People say, oh, let it go, let it go, I forgive. But they don't forgive. They're not really letting it go, they're burying it. Jesus said, go and speak to them so that they can repent. And when they repent, you can forgive. Now, sometimes, this is a really important point. Sometimes, you know, you don't know that person. You get robbed in the street, they run off. You can't go and tell them they did wrong, you know. And so in that sense, you can't forgive them fully. What I mean by that is, is that the process of forgiveness, when it happens fully, is when is when the person repents and then you forgive them and they receive that forgiveness and are restored. That's the full and perfect process. That's how it should happen. Sometimes it can't happen in that way. And so I don't know if forgiveness is the right word, but you've got to let it go. Maybe a better way of phrasing it is from Romans 12, where, where he's not so much talking about, I want to make sure I get that right, he's not so much in Romans 12 talking about Forgiveness. I don't think he actually mentions the word. Let's just go there together to make sure. In Romans chapter 12, he talks about don't take, not taking revenge. Um, let me just find it. Um, where are we? Yeah, so... Um, uh, where are we? So Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it doesn't mention forgiveness. It's fascinating. I think that I might be wrong here, but I, I think there's there's something in it that when the Bible is talking about forgiveness, it's talking about that process between two parties where there is repentance and where there is reconciliation and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's kingdom. This here is a little bit different from that because sometimes like someone's wronged you, but they're dead now. Or someone's wronged you, but you don't know them, or you can never see them again. What do you do then? How? Well, the Bible says, um, don't hold it against them. The Bible says, um, don't take revenge, either literally or in your heart, by daydreaming about what you're going to do. Leave room for the wrath of God. Let God deal with it. Let God's righteousness deal with it. Pray, Lord, bring them to repentance. If they won't repent, deal with them. Okay, Put them in his hands. Um, so whether that's whether forgiveness is the right term for that, it's not holding on to offence. It's letting it go instead of letting it grow. It's not feeding and nursing anger. This is the point that we're trying to make here. And for our well-being and for the glory of God, of course, and for the testimony of the gospel. You know, it's interesting in Romans 12 where, where Paul says, you know, um, the bit that I just read, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. You know, there's a there's a gospel witness, a testimony to how we respond when we're when we're wronged. There's something that we are testifying. That is the way we're responding. Is it honourable in the sight of all? Does it you know, or can it be misconstrued? Does it look like revenge and anger and and bitterness? And so there's just this thing here that's coming through uh, again and again. Ephesians four. Don't give room to the devil. Don't open the door because we know that he's an opportunist. What is Jesus say in the Gospel of Luke, he says, look, you know, if you cast out an evil spirit from someone, but actually, you know, 
their soul then doesn't get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're left vacant in that sense. Then that spirit will come back with seven spirits more evil than itself and take up occupancy. Satan's an opportunist. He wants to wreak havoc where he can. And sometimes what you find is is that people that hold on to ungodly anger, uh, they give Satan a place. And suddenly it's it's like there's... um, chaos in this area and negativity and depression in that area and it's it's like he's, he's brought seven with him you know um now we mustn't again we're never we're never to get into a situation where we are in fear of the devil it's really important you hear that um sometimes people go, oh i'm sure i've done that i've held on to anger and but there's no conviction of the holy spirit there's no clear so it's just a vague kind of oh yeah that's me no no that's not what we're talking about here um you'll know if you're angry about something you know if you're holding something against someone or some people or some group of people or some organization you'll know if you're acting out revenge you you'll know if there's that bitter root in your heart towards uh, another you'll know in if that is you then obey god's word let go let it go not in a fatalistic stoic whatever will be will be no 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 give it to god Will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Isn't there a day coming where every wrong will be made right? This isn't some sort of vague, kind of fluffy, kind of new age, just be positive. This is the furthest thing from that. I mean, if someone accidentally trod on your toe, that might be sufficient. But if someone's burst into your village and raped your daughter, that's not, that's not enough. That's not okay. To just be positive. You want to know that there's going to be justice. You want you want to know that there's either going to be serious, serious repentance and sorting out of that situation. Deep, wholehearted repentance, reparation, if that, you know, whatever that looks like. Or if not, you want to know there's going to be blood. <laughs> you want to know there's going to, you want to know there's going to be justice. You see, and, and these things are real. And this is the power of the Christian walk. This is the power of a God who is just, of a God who takes revenge. And this is where it brings the power to not take revenge, to not become a victim a thousand times over in your own heart and soul of what's gone on because you've not been able to let go of it, of of, 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 of even, and, and of going on the rampage and dragging the gospel in, in, in the dust. Uh, you know, by the way that you're acting and the way that you're speaking. This is giving it up to God. Do not let the sun, do not even let, do not let a day go by of holding on to such things. Give it to him. He knows what to do with that person, with those people. I would ask you to pray in light of your own forgiveness, in light of the cross, that God would bring them to repentance that they would find mercy. That's the best prayer. That's the best prayer. But then you say, if they won't, Lord, then let justice come. Deal with them. That can bring a lot of peace to the soul. Let me show you one other instance in the Bible, just to show you again. I think it's important to just uh, build a strong case, really, for this matter, so that you can see that this is not incidental. Just to drive it home. The importance of attending to this, if this is something 
in your spirit. If you know the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in chapter 5 you'll be familiar with the story of the member of the church there who was committing incest. He was sleeping with his dad's wife, and uh, so his stepmom, and there was no repentance. There was boasting. It was an ugly, ugly situation. Paul says, deal with him. Deal, deal with this man. Get, get him, get him. He's, Paul, Paul says, a little bit of yeast affects the whole loaf. If you allow that to continue, the, the whole culture of the church the whole, will be defiled. It will become, uh, I think people will think this is fine. This is okay. Get him, put him out. Now, whenever that kind of discipline happens in the church, whenever the church puts someone out, it's always with a view to them repenting of their sin and being restored. If you don't put someone out who refuses to repent, then you end up messing up the whole church. And we've got to make sure that we don't, um, we don't mess up the whole church out of a desire of not to offend an, an individual. An individual is in the church saying they're a believer, but persisting in deliberate unrepentance in the church. And we'll just talk about the leaders. The church has to put them out in a united way. Why? In order to show them that this is not okay. In order to manifest to them the displeasure of God. Why? So that they might repent. Why? So that they might be forgiven and restored and sanctified and become more like Jesus. Okay? It's it's not excommunication in a kind of a, a final condemning judgmental way. It's restorative. It's the church expressing the fatherly discipline of God in order to see people restored and to see uh, righteousness upheld, which obviously the gospel is to do. Anyway, so the church seemingly do what Paul said and, and put him out. But but then we see that this man himself seems to be actually uh, in danger of, of, of being overwhelmingly, um, overwhelmingly broken by the thing and so Paul says to him and he then he writes referring to this person in the second letter to the Corinthians um, chapter 2 verse 1 he says I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you for if I cause you pain who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained and I wrote as I did referring to his last letter so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So he's saying, we got this guy's excessively sorrowful he's repentant quick let's get around him let's forgive him let's restore him because we we don't want through unforgiveness we don't want to now give satan a hold 
We're not unaware of Satan's schemes. And so again, you find Paul specifically mentions the devil himself, Satan, the accuser, along this matter of forgiveness, unforgiveness, uh, offence. And so there it is again. And so I'm just trying to demonstrate and show to you this thing is absolutely huge. Satan can take and loves to take advantage of someone who is in a state of offence. Because when you are in a state of offence, you are essentially accusing someone. You're saying, how could you do that? How could you say that? You're essentially saying, I would never do that myself. I would never say that myself. And so you're in the role of accuser. You're, you become blind to your own faults and failings and sins. You become blind because you're so overwhelmed with how they could have done that and how they could have said that. So you take up the position of accuser. And so in doing so, you end up siding with the enemy, you take on the, that spirit of, you know, the devil who is called the accuser of the brothers. And so it, maybe this is why it's seen as this thing that's such a area potentially of satanic activity. If we don't attend to it, if we don't deal with it, if we don't work on it. So I just want to really sort of come into land now to say that God was deeply offended by our sin. Way more offended than you can begin to imagine. And that can sound foreign because mostly a lot of the time, the way people speak about God at the moment, they say that God is love, but they don't talk about God's holiness, or his majesty, or his glory, his exaltedness, his purity, his perfection, which can mean that we can lose sight of the fact that God is, God is offended at, at our sin way beyond anything we can begin to imagine, which begins to make sense of the doctrine of hell and eternal judgment. But it's, 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 it's a fury. It's a wrath. And yet, what did he do? What did he do? He, he gave us his one and only son. Because, because out of his love, he pursued us and paid the price for our sin. That's an extraordinary thing. If you own that message, I want to put it to you. You can't. You can't own that message and hold on to offence. If you do, I don't think you've understood the message. I don't think you've understood. I don't think you've seen his holiness, your sin, his pain and sacrifice for you, his love. His mercy, I don't think you've seen it. Come to the cross, meditate. See what he did when we were far away. See his response. See his love. Nailed to a cross, see it. Satisfying, satisfying divine righteous requirements. See it there, dealing, dealing with everything that was against us. Dealing with our enemy. Dealing with our sinful flesh, dealing with the power of the world with all its seductions, dealing with it all, overcoming it all for us, to bring us in fully safe, home, family, adopted, kept. See it. See it and let your heart grow. Remember that story of the Grinch whose his heart grew two sizes. Let your heart be enlarged by the gospel. That you might begin to extend mercy. Let anger, ungodly anger go. Don't let it grow. Let it go. Trust in the righteousness and the wisdom of God. Honour the gospel. God bless you.